So we've looked at a lot of things in this series. The first thing we looked at was water. You need water. We found out that Jesus was our living water. And then we looked at the need for shelter when you're in a survival situation. And we found out that God is our shelter. And then we discussed the need for fire. And fire in a survival situation is important. But also, we learned that the fire of God's judgment can motivate us to live for him in this world. We looked at food. Food is needed. You can go two to three weeks without eating it, but you still need to get food in your system to keep your calories up. And then we talked about feeding on the word of God, and we grow by that. And then we talked about scavenger. A scavenger, when you're in the wilderness as you're walking along trying to get out of the situation, you pick up things that will improve uh, your conditions as you go along. Maybe a, a milk jug, it could be a, a, a bottle, any, anything you, you grab. Maybe a, somebody left a tarp out there, you can use that for shelter. And we talked about, as believers, we're to be adding to our faith. And then we looked at, last week, compass how not to get lost in a situation by marking a tree. Um, and by the way, in a survival situation, you always try to look for the highest point. Today, we're going to talk about how to get out of the situation, how to get out of the survival uh, situation that you find yourself in. And to do that, you have to make yourself noticed. One way that you can do that is with a mirror simple mirror can signal from long distances. But if you don't have a mirror, you have to create an environment where you can be seen. One of the ways to do that is by building a fire and putting as many greens on it as you can. By adding greens on a regular fire, smoke will go all over the place and you will be noticed. So when you're in there, build a fire and put as many greens on it as you can and the smoke will rise up and it can be seen from miles away. Today we're going to talk about how to escape and more importantly how to be rescued. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 to 26 and we're going to learn about helping others escape. God bless, let's get ready. I have thoroughly enjoyed this series and I could have let it go on for another 12 weeks but run out of survival stuff to, to talk about. Yeah, today we're going to look at um, not so much our escape because we've already escaped the corruption of the world but we're going to look at how to help others escape. Basically um, an evangelistic sermon on helping others Escape, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul, this will be his last letter. He wrote it to Timothy, to his spiritual son in the faith, to direct him into the ways of ministry. He's going to pass the baton, if you will, to Timothy. And so this is a very personal letter, and in chapter 4, he really gets to the meat of 
what he wants Timothy to do. That is, preach the word in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with careful instruction and, and, and patience. Paul wrote this from prison in Rome. It was his last letter. He would be beheaded after he wrote this letter. Some say that beheading took around uh, 68 A.D., but some say that this was written somewhere around 67 A.D. So the purpose of the letter was to pastors, but at a secondary level, we can apply it to our own hearts and lives. The purpose was to encourage Timothy in the work of ministry. And that's where we pick this small letter up this, this morning, is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, 26. Now, Paul says that we are his servants, and he starts with the negative. He starts with the negative. And the Lord's servant, kudios, uh, for the word Lord, kudios. And it means one who exercises superior and supernatural authority over mankind. That's who we have in Christ. That's who we have in Jesus. I, and I think about, when I think about Jesus, I think about when he was on the boat with his disciples and they saw a storm coming and they were all freaking out, so to speak, uh, worried about this storm. And Jesus stood up in the midst of them and he caused the sea, he said, shh, shh, be still. And all of a sudden, the storm stopped. If you go on to read that narrative in Mark chapter 4, you read this. Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And so when we talk about uh, the kudios, the Lord as kudios, we are talking about one who has supernatural authority, not only over the elements, but over us. He has supernatural authority over mankind, over all of us. And then Paul qualifies what he means, because this is very interesting. He uses the word doulos, which is the word for servant. Now listen to the definition here, according to the, uh, the Greek New, New Testament. Servant. Someone who is completely controlled by someone or something. So you have Jesus Christ, who is the supernatural influencer of mankind, and then you have us, the doulos, and we are the ones who are controlled by him. In the times past, we were controlled by the prince of darkness. We were controlled by sin. We were driven to and fro, back and forth. We were in bondage to that. He had control over our lives. But when we trust in Jesus Christ, a transformation takes place. And also, a residency takes place. We go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And now, as his servants, we are to be controlled by him. He is the one who is supposed to control us. We do not do this on our own. We do not live this Christian life apart from Christ. And coming up in the next series after the Easter series, I'm going to be talking about life in combination a life in combination. Here, we see that the servant is controlled by Christ. That is how we are to navigate through this life. And what that means is you have to give Christ control too. Sometimes it gets, it gets tough in ministry. Things don't seem to be going well. Uh, you may be, become frustrated. Uh, you may think that nothing's going on. But let me, let me just remind you. 
Christ is in control of this. This is his church. And if we will submit to him, come under his authority, his supernatural authority, and we allow him to control our lives, we will flourish. It may not be it may not make millions of dollars and do all, but we will flourish because we are under the control of the kudios, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he sets that first because I think that's pretty important, and I love the way Paul does that. The Lord's servant, he controls everything and should control us because we're under the control of him. Having given that foundation, notice what he says right off bat. Here is the negative part must not be quarrelsome. Now, in this context, what we are talking about is our interaction with unbelievers. We are talking to people who do not know Christ. It's not, it's not like here. It's not like our, our interaction with, with, with one another. Certainly, we should do these things. But the point here is that Timothy, as a minister of God, must not be quarrelsome. He must not get into fights that can really hurt the cause, the word quarrelsome here, makhoma, makhoma. And it means, listen to this, it means serious conflict. Okay, so you're, you're telling somebody about Jesus. And you get quarrelsome. can lead to serious conflict, and listen, physical or non-physical clashing. Now, it should go without saying it really should go without saying that when you're talking to unbelievers, you don't, you don't, you don't get ready and get physical with you. You better believe Jesus, I'm going to get physical with you. No, you, you, don't, you don't do that. This is not how we look. This is not how we roll as Christians. This is not the way that we interact with people who need to know Jesus Christ. We don't provoke them. We don't... Uh, we don't try to intentionally hurt them or, or get into a, 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 a theological debate. You have to understand something. They don't know what you know. And so we have to be extremely careful when we interact with, one, with, with unbelievers. It becomes problematic. And that's what Paul was wanting to tell Timothy. Look, as, as a minister of the gospel, you cannot be quarrelsome with people. We'll, we'll get to why in just, in just a minute. But he's saying, you shouldn't do that. And you darn sure don't want to get into a physical altercation with an unbeliever. Because you never know that unbeliever may be bigger than you, may be able to knock you out. So you've got to be careful on that end too. But we do not quarrel. And it, you know what, brothers and sisters? It is so easy to quarrel with unbelievers, isn't it? Because you are so frustrated. You just... Sometimes you want to shake them and say, look, you need to trust in Jesus Christ, but you can't do that. About this quarreling and about this being aggressive with, with unbelievers, I have some thoughts. First of all, it's a possibility that you may lose your witness with them. Jesus claims to be merciful and loving and caring, and yet you project, or I project, somebody that is directly opposite of that. We've got to be careful that we don't lose our witness. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation, but we lose our witness and ability to reach this person. Secondly, I think we build barriers. When we get aggressive with, with, with unbelievers, you know what's going to happen? The, the first time you get on them and you're ragging them and, and you, I can't believe you're, you're not doing this. And what happens is barriers. 
start going up. And that goes right here too. Thirdly, and I think more importantly, Satan grabs the upper hand. Let me remind the church this morning that our battle is spiritual, not physical. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and darkness of this age. That is where the battle is. It is not with the guy that hangs out with you at the water cooler at work that just can't seem to get it. It is not with the next door neighbor that is just totally obstinate towards the gospel. That is not the opponent. The opponent behind it is the darkness of Satan. And when we lose it, Satan goes, aha, now there's one that won't be able to witness to him anymore because this guy's heart's cold towards him and the gospel message. But this is absolutely the most important of all things why we don't argue or quarrel with unbelievers. It takes away the job of the Holy Spirit. I want to remind us, too, that our job is to simply share it. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction and correction in the hearts and lives of unbelievers. So when we get to sharing the gospel and we get kicked back, don't get quarrelsome. Just back off. Because you don't want these three to come into play. What you want is the fourth one. You want to leave room for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's just better when somebody gets in a, in a quarrelsome fight with you about Jesus Christ. This is, this is the best thing to do. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to stop the discussion right now, and I'm just going to walk away. Because you have, we have to leave room for this. This is the Holy Spirit's job. Uh, our job is just to send it. Now, let's go to the positive. We've, we've looked at the negative, in one sense positive too, but because we're controlled by the Holy, we're controlled by Christ. When we're out of control and when we're arguing, that means we're not under control of the, Holy, uh, of, of the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ. But now the positive, how should we be with unbelievers? Remember, this series has been about being in the wilderness. There are others in the wilderness outside this church this morning who do not know Jesus Christ. They have never received the message of the gospel. They have been obstinate towards it. But our goal is still to share the gospel and to help them see the light of the truth. Now notice what he says here. Verse 24b, but be kind to everyone, able to teach. This is directly to Timothy, secondary applied to us. Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Positive qualities. I hope you write these down because I think these are, these are big. <laughs> Number one, kind. An attitude that is helpful and leads to peace. Now, that doesn't mean you let the person tramp the name of Jesus Christ, but it does mean that you go in and you go, you know what, I'm going to be kind. I know this person is lost, and I know who's behind the lostness. It is Satan. And therefore, I'm going to go out of my way to be kind with this person. I'm going to go above and beyond even what Christ says. I'm going to be as kind as I can to this person. I shouldn't say go above Christ, but you know what I mean. I'm going to be very careful 
in my attitude. I'm going to be kind. Kindness can go a long way. You know that and when you're sharing the gospel? Kindness can go a long way. Able to teach. Help people to understand. You know the person that you're witnessing to, that, that you're trying to share the gospel with? Um, and you have, to, you have to, as you're engaging them, you have to help them try to understand what you are communicating. And if you do that in a, in a, in a, in a kind attitude, you would be amazed how much, how far that would go. Now, when I was a younger pastor, I actually violated this. I got into a really bad argument with a lost guy, and it didn't, it didn't end well. So I'm speaking from, from experience. Ever since that, I've just decided, you know what, I'm going to be kind to these people. I'm going to love them because that's what Jesus would want me to do, love them. And I'm going to pray for them that they will eventually come to the knowledge of the truth. Number three, patiently endure evil. This is literally translated tolerant without becoming angry. And some of them, uh, a couple of translators write it this way. Don't hold resentment. It's easy to get into an argument and then, you know, you get this resentment built up. I'm just not going to share the gospel with him. He doesn't get it anyway. He's lost as a ball in high weeds. He's never going to get it. And I'm just going to harbor bitterness to it. No, 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 no. You have to endure evil. Remember, you are not fighting against the person. You are fighting against Satan who has driven the person away into darkness. So you don't let, you don't let stuff get to you. You don't become angry. Even if you have witnessed time and time again to the person. You just have to endure it. Patiently. Here's, here's the other thing. Don't. Don't. Take it personal. Don't take it personal. It's not personal. All you are is the messenger. You are not the message. You are just the messenger. Do not take it personal. Number four, correcting with gentleness. Here's, you notice these, these kind of words here. Watch. Gentleness, attitude. Here, to point out proper behavior with a, general, uh, with a, with a gentle spirit. In other words, you go, well, you know what? I know that you're not a believer, but let me show you in Scripture why I do what I do. And, and you just point to it. it, it, it what it does is when, when you do that and you point out proper behavior, this is the way that believers live and you just make light of that. This, this is the way that we live. But then you've got to be very careful to live that way because I will tell you this, unbelievers will look at you. Incident happened to me when I was in the Army years ago. And I was listening, I know this is going to surprise you guys, I was listening to the Atlanta Braves on Armed Forces Radio. So <laughs> I was in my bunk, and my sergeant came up to me, and he goes, he pulls my headphone off like this a little bit, and he says, hey, what are you doing? I was off, and wasn't worried about that. He pulled my headphone off, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm listening to Armed Forces Network. I'm listening to the Braves game from the States. He goes, I didn't think Christians listened to baseball. He was the same guy that didn't understand circumcision. But you know what? I was able to tell my boss how to be saved. I didn't let, let it rattle me. This was, even, this was before I went in the in ministry. 
they're going to challenge you. Here's something you may need to do at some point in your walk with an unbeliever. You ready for this? You may need to say, I'm sorry. That's not how I'm supposed to act. Now, if you point out your own wrong behavior and show it to Scripture, and then he sees you asking for forgiveness, I'm going to tell you something. That will preach to their heart. Here you've got a person that's willing to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have lived like that, I shouldn't have said that. And all of a sudden, you are now pointing out the proper behavior. You're teaching that unbeliever what it means to follow Christ. That's, that's invaluable. That is invaluable. Newt Larson, my friend, writes it this way in his commentary. Though truth can seem harsh, and it can, I heard a comedian once say, the truth hurts, that's letting you know that you don't have it. But though truth can seem harsh, carrying with it conviction or judgment of sin, it must, I would have underscored this, it must be delivered with compassion and kindness because God always works for the restoration or repentance of the sinner. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to remember something. These people are lost. And the truth's going to hurt. And they're going to kick back on you for a little bit. But if they see a loving spirit from you and they know that you can talk to you, do you know how many times when I was in the Army, people came up to me uh, oh, oh, when I was walking like in, in the motor pool and some young private would walk up to me and say, Sergeant Frazier, do you got a minute? And I'd pull over. They, they, they called me Father Frazier. I don't know why they called me that, but... But I, pulled, I would pull these young people aside and talk to them about the gospel. How did that come about? It doesn't mean that I was perfect, but I tried to live what I believed. And they noticed that. They will notice it. I, there was times I said, look, guys, I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Always quick to ask for forgiveness or something. That sticks. That sticks. And the goal here, God always works for the restoration of the unbeliever. And guess who he chooses to use as the vehicle? You. Uses you and me. Imperfect as we are, but he uses us to share the good news. Now, we get to, I'm going to show you one more picture here. Uh, just be methodical. The goal is to share the gospel. Even if you share it with another person, you've got an unbeliever here. Share the gospel, just present it, and do it lovingly. If they've got questions, every unbeliever that I've ever witnessed to has had some type of question that they want answered. So you just have to be very, very careful and go methodically through the gospel message. And by the way, who share the gospel. We are his servants who share the gospel. And there's, this is beautiful. This is pretty awesome. Um, there are two key players in the spiritual realm. Did you know that? There's God and there's Satan. Those are the two key players. And guess what? He drops them in right here. There's two key players, God and Satan. We've got to get our mind off the fact that the guy that I work with 
is bad. Yes, he is bad, but he doesn't know that he's bad. And so you have to start viewing them that it is not with Jim that I have a problem. It is not with Sally that I have a problem. It is with the person behind Jim and Sally. That's the real target. You have to give these people the gospel in such a way that they'll be drawn to it like a moth is to a flame, where they just draw right to it and allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work on them. Now, notice what he says here. God perhaps, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. God may perhaps grant? That is a total misreading. I don't like the way that that's written because this is what it really means. Holds out hope. This is what the literal Greek. But it's uncertain whether the unbeliever will take it. It's not that God says, you know, I'm not going to, nah, I'm not going to grant you, I'm not going to grant you the ability to repent. No. It's that God offers it. Grant is a, is, is a grace word. God will grant the unbeliever a chance to repent and turn to him all the time. Matter of fact, I'll even go further and say this. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Where is the Lord? He didn't come back. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is holding out the olive branch to unbelievers. And it's, 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 it's not that, that God is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. He's holding it out. But the issue is not with God. The issue is with the unbeliever. Will he reach out and take it? That's the key. That's the key. God is always willing. Matter of fact, brothers and sisters, God will take you on your deathbed. I've had that at least five times in my ministry where somebody repented on their deathbed. And you know what? When I preached their funeral, I preached they are with God. You may be thinking, I'm too bad. I'm too far out. God could never, never grant me the opportunity of grace to repent Think about who's writing this. Who's writing this, this little letter to Timothy? It's the Apostle Paul. If anybody would have been disqualified or maybe looked over, it would have been Paul. He killed Christians. He locked them into prison. But on that road to Damascus, he had the Damascus encounter with Jesus Christ that changed his life. Paul's, Paul would tell you if he was here today, his arm is not too short that he can't reach down and save someone. You got a person in your life that you think is too far gone, can't be saved. I'm telling you, anything is possible with God. And by the way, you are a reflection that anything is possible with God. I bet you if I heard your stories, uh, I know a lot of you and I've known you for 10 years. Um, just remember this. Just remember this, that God holds it out. It's, our, it's the person on the other end that says, no, I don't want to, and they're influenced by Satan. Now, he uses the word repentance, metanoia, metanoia. And well, let me just show you what that word means. 
That word means you're walking in this direction, metanoia, and you're going in the other direction. That's the term for repentance. It means you do 180 degrees. When I wrote it up, I wrote 360, and I knew that wasn't right because it put you right back in the same direction. But it's 180. You're going in the other direction. But beyond that, this word also means this. To change one's way of life. You come into saving faith with Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, you change your way of life. You don't do this without the help, the help and the power and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, obviously. But when you are living your Christian life, the goal is to reflect the one who redeemed you. And I'll say this, I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it at times. But when you blow it, you just go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, I blew it, I shouldn't have done that. And if you have to go back to apologize to somebody, uh, take your pride, set it on the table, go to that person and say, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. Or I should not have done that to you. Just, it's easy, it's easy to, it's easy to mess up. <laughs> you know why? Because we're not home yet. When we're home, we won't be messing up anymore, but we are now. To change one's way of life. Now, this is an interesting phrase right next to it. Leading to a knowledge, epigenosis, epigenosis which is full knowledge of something. It means that you don't, you don't have a little bit of knowledge of it. You, 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 I kind of grasp the concept. No, no. Uh, epigenosis means you have a full command of what it is. And what it is is laethia, which is truth. What is the truth? Here it can be nothing else other than the gospel. Because of the word repentance is mixed in with this. So it is perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of a truth. So here was a, here was a theological question that I, that I ran with this week. Wrote it down, put question marks by it, and then I answered it. I like to do that when I'm writing my sermons. It kind of helps me flesh through some things. Does this mean that repentance comes before knowledge of the truth? That's a good question. Because if you look at the order here, it says maybe God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So do you repent and then you get the knowledge? I don't think so. If you don't know the truth, how can you repent from it? If you don't know what the truth is, I don't think, and I think some scholars here have ran, run the gamut way too far out. This is what I think it means. Repentance is the result of knowing the truth. So it's like all of a sudden, you epigenosis, I got it, I know, I've got this. Oh, I need to repent. I need to ask God to forgive me of my sin. Ultimately, at the end of the day, when the dust settles, this is what is most important. It is helping the person bow down and pray the sinner's prayer. Not a magical prayer. You have to tell them the Roman road and, and you have to tell them this, I shared the gospel yesterday. Refreshed the gospel. Church, this is what we're about. 
You want church growth? Here it is. Here it is. Perhaps God may grant them, he wants to grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. There's a problem. The problem is, verse 26, Satan. God's willing. He doesn't want any to perish, but all come to repentance and to live for him. Now listen to what Paul writes here. It's, it's really fascinating too. But, and they may come to their senses. You have, look at our world today. Look, look at our world. They're not in their right mind. You can see the stuff that's going on in our world. They are not in their right mind. They are not fully aware of the truth. This should not be a big <clears throat> surprise on us. We live in a world that is apart from Jesus Christ that needs to know Jesus Christ. That they may come to their senses. On nepho. <laughs> the word senses, on nepho which means to return to a proper state of mind. One of the stories that I most value, it's in Matthew 5 or Mark 5. Do you remember the guy by the tomb that was breaking chains and he would wonder and scream and he was, he was a crazy guy. He was not in his right senses. And Jesus approached him. And one of the demons spoke up and he said, Lord Jesus, do not hurt us. He goes, who are you? He said, I'm legion. There's many. And Jesus, he goes, please don't kill us. Put us into the pigs. So Jesus did that. Put them into the pigs. And they went into the sea and they drowned. This man afterwards was calm. People were like, whoa. He was demon-possessed. He was under the control of Satan. And that is what's wrong with our world today, brothers and sisters. It is run and influenced by the devil, the evil one. And that's why we have so much trouble in this world. And our job is to help rescue those people from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. We don't do that, but God uses us to do that. So we have to start being kind. We have to start being loving. We have to start sharing the gospel. And this... This is, this is, they're not in their right mind. And don't, don't go out of here and say, and you go to an unbeliever and say, you're not in your right mind. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I just want you to know that. I just want you to know that. I don't want you to tell them they're in their right mind or they're not in their right mind. But I want you to understand that this is a spiritual battle. This is not a personal battle. This, this is not you against them or, or you or us against them. This, that's not what it is. It is Satan at work in our lives in the, in the people around us that are lost, that need to know Christ. That they may come to their senses. The, the, the only way that this world is not going to get solved by a political coup. It's not going to be solved by all conservatives and government. It's not going to be solved by a president. Do you know what's going to solve this mess that we're living in? Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to solve all of our problems. And that is our mission, to go out and share the gospel. And then he adds, an escape from the snare of the devil after being captured, military, 
captured by him to do his will. Your, your argument, your fight is not against Bill, Sally, or Jim. Your fight is not against Bill, Sally, or Jim. Your fight is against Satan and the demonic forces. This word escape, I like the word because it's easy to pronounce. It's called ek. Ek. So you want to get away from your husband this afternoon, you just go ek. <laughs> that word means free from. And free from the snare, pygies, or trap of Satan. Ek Pisces. Pygies. Means to be free from the trap of Satan. All the people that we witness to in our lives... They've been snared. They've been snared by Satan. You can share the gospel, but I can tell you this, the only one that will free them from that trap is the truth of the gospel. And we share that. We're in the wilderness, and we see people struggling in the wilderness. They need to escape that. We need to, to the best of our ability, live in a way that would help them. Philip Towner, Towner, in his commentary, absolutely all over it. He writes this, It is a battle against Satan, not simply against a human opponent. All opposition to God and God's servants is ultimately engineered by the devil. Amen, hallelujah, Towner gets it. God's enemy is actively and consciously behind the false teaching, the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The Christian who forgets this takes a great risk. And the great risk is to lose it in front of an unbeliever to where you put the barrier up and they will not and would not listen to you anymore. That's the danger. You, I, tomorrow morning when you go to work, wherever you go, and you're around unbelievers, I want you to get this thought in your mind. It is not the person. It is the thing behind the person. And you start praying for that person before you see them. And you say, Lord, help me be a loving, kind witness. Father, give me the words that I need to say to this person. Don't let me look at Jim or Sally and look at them as a person. Father, I know that Satan has control over their heart and their lives, and I want you to be able to cut through and break them free so that they can experience the truth. It is not the person. It is the power behind the person. Yeah. I... I Honestly, God beat me up on this this week. It is not against a human opponent. They're, they're, they're flesh and blood like we are, and they're talking, but they're not in their right senses. They can't be. They're like the man on the edge of the sea that was walking back and forth but from the tombs. He's saying all kinds of things. That's the world we live in. But you notice Jesus commanded to come out. And that's what the gospel does. I still remember the day that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'll never forget it. The day the army chaplain led me to saving faith. Conclusion. Let me say this. Three things. 
We are his servants. Does he control you? Have you just given him control of your life because he is sovereign? Does he propel you to, to serve? Secondly, not only we are his servants, let, let him empower us. Be friendly. Be friendly to everybody that you meet. Be quick with the handshake and with the smile. You can catch more flies with honey than you can with insults. Be friendly. And, and I would say, let me just say this, uh, maybe beyond this text a little bit, but be friendly in life. Just be friendly. Just wake up tomorrow morning, you know, I'm going to be smiling, I'm going to be happy, and I'm just, people are drawn to that stuff. What's wrong with you? Because they're not in their senses. What's wrong with this guy? He's always happy. Happy in Jesus. Happy in Jesus. Here's the third thing. Our desire should be to help others escape. Our desire should be to help others 